You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. Our gospel today, as well as the first reading, in many ways, both point to this wonderful truth about Christianity that remains, and maybe always has been, and will always remain, a mystery to anyone outside of the Christian faith. And maybe even to many of us who are Christian, it's just a difficult tension to hold. I'm going to attempt to sort of draw it out in order that as you go forward, you can defend yourself when you're accused of uh, hypocrisy by all of your friends. Because when you describe it, it's going to seem impossible to hold this tension, and it's often seen as a sort of hypocrisy within Christians. And I refer to this Christian call to bring together a sense of deep humility, this idea that we're nothing, that we don't deserve even to be here in a sense. We are very literally contingent beings. By that I mean we're not necessary in the world. If I ceased to exist, the world would go on as it goes on. I'm not necessary for everything else to exist. And yet we do exist. And not by some sort of accident of nature, but by the active will of God. That God individually made each person in this room. And he created you exactly as you are and willed you into existence. And so, this being true, though we are well aware of our littleness, we're also aware of the sort of infinite potential that we have, that God has given us in a very literal way. G.K. Chesterton talks about the world's annoyance with this, this idea that we can simultaneously call ourselves a sort of a miserable sinner who deserves nothing of what we have, and then also strive for such great things. And I think I mean, it comes across as, as a sort of false humility. I mean, someone could receive it, this sort of, oh, I'm, I'm a miserable sinner, but I'm striving for perfection. It's hard to hold those two things in tension, which is why so many different religions or even different Christian sects have, uh, have forgotten one or the other. We've, we've emphasized the miserable sinner part or the sort of, uh, we're actually just, we're all good, guys, don't worry about it. And so it's even difficult for us to hold this tension. But as Catholics, we hold it and we'll never give up on it. Uh, Chesterton describes it much like he makes the analogy of someone who's in love, of the lover who's in pursuit of the one whom they love. And they will do crazy, reckless things for that person, uh, things that would seem impossible otherwise. They're driven to it because they're in love. And yet, even if they win the one whom they love, they will say for the rest of their life that they don't deserve them, that there's, that there's nothing that could have ever they could have ever done to be worthy of this love. And that, in many ways, is the Christian faith. And all that we have achieved in the world, you know, of course, we've imperfectly lived out the faith. And the church has spread, in many ways, uh, 
by means of corruption or imperfection, whatever. But insofar as the church has has moved out into the world in a fruitful way, we've done so by means of humility. That's the driving force of Christianity. The saints realized that they were loved, and then in pursuit of the Lord, they went out and did impossible things. And so the whole of Christian history is in many ways a romance. Uh, It's the story of men and women who are in love with God. And so he brings us to our gospel today, in which Jesus lays down a a confusing principle that seems impossible to implement in the world. Like, how do we actually put this thing into action? You know, James and John come forward and they demand to be the main generals in the takeover of Rome. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the apostles arguing amongst themselves who is the greatest. So in a sense, who is going to be the lead generals? And James and John obviously thought they won that argument, so they go to Jesus and say, hey, we're the top dogs, put us at your right and your left when you go out and conquer Rome. And Jesus then gives them this this deeper insight into what it means to rule as a servant. What does that look like in the world? He says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones make their authority over them felt. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever wishes to be great will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first will be the slave of all. There's a, a movement in our society today that I think in many ways is trying to do something like this. But it's missing the mark. And actually it's it's, it's well-intentioned, at least it began well-intentioned, perhaps not so anymore. It's taken on a title that is very Catholic. And it's, I mean, it's called social justice. It's taken on the title of social justice. And we as Catholics hear social justice, we think, oh, we know social justice. We invented it. It's us. We made that thing. We know it better than anybody. And yet, social justice today is not what we think of as social justice, as Catholics, if if you've looked into the actual social teaching of the church, which is why I don't use that phrase uh, when I preach or talk about the social teaching of the church. And the reason is that it's, in many ways, a legitimate cry for justice from many different directions. Uh, And yet, the way that it's come about is not rooted in a pursuit of God's justice. It's not rooted in a sort of moving to change the world in in the way in which Jesus tells us to. It's caught up, like so many other movements throughout history, in the same power struggle that has, in many ways, ruled the world through all of history. That it has this idea that we have of humility, in a sense that we're broken, that we're enslaved by something. And yet, like so many other rising sort of systems, it sought to seek justice by means of accumulating power. So while this stands, I mean, it will sort of pass away as every other movement passes away. Uh, While it stands, we don't want to get caught up in the movements of it. And I don't have time to get into the sort of anthropology of 
the different sort of movements within the social justice movement. I'll have to do that probably soon because it's, it's coming more and more into the forefront of our culture. But I think it suffices to say that as Christians, we believe that we have individual dignity, that each one of us, every single person in the world was created by God and so has dignity in themselves. And, and a big part of this sort of postmodern social justice, if you want to call it that, uh, is not rooted in the, the individual, but in some sort of identity that that person takes upon themselves. And so the group identity is what brings dignity to that person, not the individual. And I think this has been the case in almost every movement throughout history, unless it's deeply rooted in a Christian idea. And so we can't get caught up in this, but instead stand as Christians do for each and every individual. Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do we battle injustice in the world as Christians then? How do we do so with humility and while striving to be great as God has called us to be? Well, Teresa Vavla has this great principle that in a broken world, it is impossible for everyone to have justice, to every, for everyone to have their due. That would necessarily mean injustice for those around them for all of us to receive what we deserve. And so as Christians, our job is to take on whatever injustice we can in order that others can have it. In a sense, to really truly lay down our lives in order that those around us can have what they deserve. That's a hard truth for us to hear, but it is, in fact, what we're called to. You know, James and John did learn in time, what it meant to actually lead and to be truly humble. They ended up at Jesus' right and left, in a sense. James was martyred, and John, after they failed to martyr him, they exiled him to Pathos for the rest of his life. You know, that happened. We still talk about James and John. The Roman Empire's gone, and the church is still here. And it always will be especially if we go out and, in a sense, walk toward the justice that we desire as Christians, with true humility, um, but also with that knowledge of our dignity. And so let's go forth and truly give our life for our brothers and sisters.